It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome back to the Unsackable Podcast, episode number high 30s, 38, I believe. We'll call it 38. I am Adrian Sousa. Thank you for joining us once again. And of course, I'm joined by Josh. Joshua, how are you? And did you enjoy the football this week? I did. Joshua, I mean, haven't haven't been called Joshua in a while. Fun fact, every time Manuel puts our description, he he puts Joshua Deming with two M's and I just simply erase the one N and, and, and erase the UA. But I, I am doing good. I'm excited to be back here with you guys. Uh, really excited to get your guys' opinion as well on the two Champions League matches. I'm, I mean, in my... One was just exceptional. I mean, the Madrid and, and City one was was so much fun to watch and excited to break it down with you guys. Two Champions League matches. I mean, there are three, Joshua. Of course, we'll talk about the original Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League, which we're probably going to lean very heavily on yourself, Joshua, and Filippo. Filippong, how are you? Did you watch the CONCACAF Champions League? Hey, uh, watched the half of the second half beyond because I was leaving Mexico versus Guatemala match here in Orlando. So I missed the first half and a good part of the second half. But yeah, I know what happened and I watched it. But Adrian, before we start, we've been requesting people to drop reviews here as it really helps the podcast. I do have a review to read. Oh, please go right ahead. Okay. So this review is from My Name's Panda. That's the name of the account. And the reason I picked this one to read is because Manuel was not here today and I didn't want to really make him too cocky. It says, Manuel has a nice voice. Unfortunately, he's not with us today. Manuel is, I believe, in Nashville, but he'll be back next week and you'll enjoy his voice as long as you leave a review, a five-star review. If it's less than that, we'll come after you. That's right. We'll get our link. We have a massive legal team behind us for the Unsackable podcast, and we will come after you if you leave anything less than a five-star review. That's not a threat in case your legal team is going to come after us now. That's not a threat. Just let the record show that. But guys, let's get into the Champions League because I am I'm raring to talk about this. The UEFA Champions League, I should say. Let's be very specific with our words. And let's start with Real Madrid versus Manchester City because it was another thriller thanks to Real Madrid. And, you know, despite them, I mean, they get some flack, don't they? And despite some of the flack that they get, because they've looked unconvincing at times throughout this season, but they are they have a massive lead in La Liga. I believe it's at 15 points still. And time and time again, they find ways to just put up the most ridiculous, entertaining matches. And this was no exception. A seven-goal thriller. Josh, what did you make of this match? You cannot write this Madrid side off they've honestly in my opinion been one of the crazier stories in world football this season I mean bringing back Carlo Ancelotti with absolutely no disrespect to Ancelotti but I mean he was working at Everton before he did a a decent job I mean compared to their season this year he did a decent job 
but he took that huge step back to take over a club like Madrid, kind of like a stopgap in Madrid. I mean, they're and as you guys probably know, I mean, whether they bring in Hall and they're trying to bring in Mbappe, they're going to go through this new revolution. And I didn't know if it would quite be done under Ancelotti, so I didn't really know what to expect this year, seeing Varane and Ramos leave. And, and all of a sudden, it just he grabbed this group, which shows it's got a lot of quality players. But, I mean, between Vinicius Jr. and, and Kareem Benzema, who's taken their games to a completely different planet, they've just given this side an opportunity to win a match every single time and it, it, to, I mean to be honest like this game could have been like 8-2 like it was one of those matches it was just so open so much fun but it, somehow it's a 4-3 matchup going into the second leg and seeing how Madrid has been this season I, I this, this thing's obviously far from over but man I'm I'm closer to wanting to back Madrid right now than I am to back City yeah and that's fair enough I mean <sighs> there's this stardust quality that they seem to have surrounding them, don't they? And one of the reasons as to why they have that is for players like Modric and Benzema, who we've been singing their praises throughout this Champions League campaign, at least in the knockout rounds, because there was that first that first round against PSG, which they came back in that 30-minute span. And then against Chelsea, they did it again. And then here, once again, Karim Benzema with that Panenka ice in his veins. That was something else, wasn't it, Filippo? Sorry about that. My mic was off. But yes, uh, the thing is with Real Madrid is I, I, I thought they were going to go through before this match. Okay, as I said here in the podcast, I thought Real Madrid was going to go through and win the Champions League. Now, win the Champions League, I'm not sure. But now I am 100% sure Real Madrid is going to knock out Manchester City. It's going to happen. Uh, Manchester City had their opportunities to kill this off. They didn't do it. They are going to create volumes of opportunities in the goal in the game like they did in this one. Real Madrid is a much more efficient team. They don't need that many chances to score, right? It's like one little slip of your defense and they punish you. And that's how they've been going through against PSG, against Chelsea. And it'll be the same against Manchester City and Real Madrid will make it to the final. I think also Casemiro possibly coming back the next game will protect that back line a little bit better. We also saw how bad Manchester City played against Atletico in Madrid for the second leg. They should have lost that game, by the way. I am 100% sure Real Madrid's going to go through. Also, Toni Kroos at the six just doesn't really look good, in my in my opinion. So, specifically this game that I watched also, one thing to say is games like this one, right, that are so enjoyable to watch, is the reason why we call this the beautiful game. It was just a joy to watch. And I don't know if you guys had the same thing as me. As I was watching the game, I kind of didn't want it to end. Did anyone have that too? I didn't want it to end. Big time. Yeah, and I think Pep Guardiola after the game said something along the lines of, this is not a direct quote, but something along the lines of like, you know, when both teams are willing to attack, football can be very fun or very beautiful or something like that. And I 100% agree because both teams were dying to attack. And like you said, the absences within the two teams, you know, Casemiro missing, that was massive for Real Madrid and how all the opportunities that afforded to Man City. And then Man City as well with no right back, (laughs) old man Fernandinho playing at right back versus Vinicius is a bit of a mismatch, isn't it? So it's going to be interesting seeing with, you know, with Kyle Walker back, Juan Cancelo potentially back for Manchester City, Casemiro potentially back for Real Madrid, what that will look like in the second leg. But yeah, go ahead, Filippo. But did you guys notice where how it's the same pattern as the other knockout rounds with Real Madrid? Real Madrid got outplayed in many different rounds, right? Even with PSG, there was a point where it looked like PSG was going to go through. Uh, Chelsea, it looked like Chelsea was going to go through. But it just seems like this Real Madrid, all they need 
is one little moment of Benzema or or Vinicius, and boom, they're back at it. Or boom, they're knocking you out. And this game kind of just looked like that. I know they lost 4-3, but like you said, like Manchester City could have won by a lot more. Could have been 5-1, could have been 5-2, could have been a lot more, right, and allow less goals. But they only needed those little moments, and they got the job done. 4-3 is not a bad result in England. Now they go to Madrid, and... I really believe Real Madrid are going to go through, and I, and I think we're going to talk about Liverpool soon. We're going to get the final Liverpool and Real Madrid once again, but this time, Liverpool has a good goalkeeper. That's true, yeah, of course. Loris Karius, that infamous final against Real Madrid in 2018. But Josh, what Filippo was saying about you know Manchester City not really doing their job and killing this off early, they had so many opportunities. And that reaction from Pep Guardiola to Riyad Mahrez when he hit it into the side netting instead of sort of squaring it to Phil Foden, that says it all, right? He knows that if they don't put Real Madrid down early, then they could pay for it later. Yeah, I mean, there's a few opportunities in that. The, the, the one was interesting, though, because I was, I was kind of on the side of Mahrez. It looked like the pass was covered. I mean, I, we saw it on a couple different ones. The commentator were kind of talking like that as well, that it just it wasn't there. So I think he recognized that and was hoping just to get at least a, a chance. Now, it was it was a poor shot. It I mean it didn't even test the keeper, but it was it was one of those things. But they had other chances as well to at one point make it like a two three goal game, and they weren't able to take it and just left Madrid sitting there and waiting. And 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 it's funny because it just seems like every single time we talk about City like this, it's like well they didn't have a striker. They don't have a striker. Maybe Holland coming in is a little bit more um more likely now. But at the same time, they still scored four goals. Like, I mean, this is this was still this was just a crazy match all around. Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 Josh. What do you mean they don't have a striker? Oh, you put you saying Gabriel Jesus counts as a I mean a five goals in two games. He was playing on the wings when he scored the the other four. True, but he can be a striker. He can finish. The guy can score. He was a center forward in Palmeiras, was a center forward for Brazil. Technically he still is a center forward for Brazil. I, I think they have a striker. It's just that Pep Guardiola for some reason doesn't want to play Gabriel always at the center forward position. If he plays them long enough there, he's going to score goals. Gabriel I, scores goals. I, I agree with that. And I mean, that is f- fair. But like, the, I mean, for Brazil lately, I've been seeing him play on the wings and correct me if I'm wrong, but Neymar's kind of taken that striker spot in the same kind of city. They've been giving it to to uh, Phil Foden or they've been giving it to Sterling. It's, it's a little it's a little strange because I think when you look at the city team, the only player that's really should be playing there is Jesus, and they just decided to not do it and rather play him as, even as a wingback than as a striker. So it, it's, it's kind of weird. There's clearly just not, not enough faith in him, but maybe so, the fact that he scored four goals is the reason he started at striker in this game. So I remember him in the wing during the Copa America a few times, but I think in World Cup qualifying, my memory doesn't fail me. He's been mostly center forward. But, now, but I would have to double check on that. But that's what I remember, at least. I remember Copa America, Jesus playing on the wing for Chichi a little bit for Brazil. But back in World Cup qualifying, I think he was mostly center forward. Well, yeah. I mean, he got, he obviously, I mean, scoring four goals will give you the opportunity. So, I mean, it was funny that the fact that after he got that performance, he was right back playing center forward and he scored a goal. So, it's fair. And I was just kind of making the joke is like, this has been an ongoing thing for City all season. Every match where they're, they're so close and they've had massive amount of opportunities, but they haven't put the game to bed or they drop points in the in the league. It just goes back to the same questions. Like, well, if this City team had a proper number nine, whether you think Jesus is or, or isn't, that's just, it's a recurring theme. Um, might be a little bit of an unfair one considering they put up four goals in a Champions League semifinals, but it's it's still a talking point nonetheless. 
And it was a talking point that Filippo actually brought up, I believe, two weeks ago when we were talking about this, how they could use that, you know, that little ace up their sleeves to have something a little bit different. But now Filippo says that it's 100% Real Madrid going to the final. 100%. No room for failure there. Josh, what are you thinking? Do you think that Manchester City are going to go to the Bernabeu and have a better performance than they did against Atletico Madrid, which was pretty poor by their standards? Or do you think that this is all Real Madrid and it's theirs to lose now? I definitely don't think it's all Madrid's. I think it depends. I mean, if Casemiro does come back, I think it'll be a little bit less of an op- completely open match. Cause I think City, if they play the same type of style that they just did in, in the match we just saw, there's going to be goals on both sides. It's just going to be who gets more. I, I, I would probably, if I was a betting man, I would probably still lean towards City going through like 60-40. But I don't know. My gut's telling me that there's something going on with this Madrid side and, and you just... They're a scrappy bunch, but you can't count them out. And maybe Benzema will have the, the final laugh when it comes down to it next week. He's seemingly beginning the final laugh over and over and over again. And actually, I believe he's on 14 goals for this Champions League campaign. And he's just three away, I think, from Cristiano Ronaldo's record of 17 for a single Champions League campaign. And with the way that he's been scoring lately, you wouldn't really bet it against him. I mean, two hat-tricks in a row. And then he scored one against Chelsea in the second leg. Do you guys remember? Someone's going to have to fact check me on that one. I believe it was just the one. Um, but anyways, and then another brace against Manchester City in this first leg. He's on ridiculous form right now. Um, but someone who is maybe one of his rivals, you could say, for the Ballon d'Or, potentially, as we sort of move into this Liverpool versus Villarreal, which we'll talk more about the match in particular. But I wanted to talk about Sadio Mane a little bit because he won AFCON. He's hit 20 goals for the fourth time in the last five seasons for Liverpool. And he just continues to get better and better from a more central position than he used to play. He's fully taken that away from whether it's Jota or Firmino. Firmino's on the bench regularly now. Jota has been sort of squeezed to the bench by Luis Diaz in the form of Mane recently. Is Sadio Mane someone that we should absolutely be considering in one of the top three for Ballon d'Or right now? What do you guys think? Filippo, you want to take this one first? Yeah, well, so the Ballon d'Or this year won't take into account the World Cup, right? And I also find it somewhat of a meaningless award at this point because of the whole marketing around it in the past few years. I, I thought it meant something back in the day, but now not so much. But but absolutely, if you look into that, in terms of accomplishment, he can still win the Premier League. He can win the Champions League. He's had a heck of a season with, with Senegal and with Liverpool. He's definitely up there with Karim Benzema. And, and maybe you, your point will strengthen based off who wins the Champions League. Right. Uh, Mo Salah started off the season a little bit stronger than Sadio Mane. I don't know if you guys remember that. A little bit better in the beginning. Uh, but it could come down to that. If they win the Champions League, why not? Why can't Sadio Mane win it? Right. It's a possibility. It's not going to be Messi or Ronaldo, for Christ's sakes. It can't be Messi or Ronaldo. So, sure, it'll be a top three right there, too. And Karim Benzema is with him, and we'll see who wins the Champions League. Yeah. I mean, if, if Benzema can take this Madrid side to the Champions League, I. He's just been spectacular. I think Mane definitely deserves to be up in that conversation, but I, I don't honestly say Salah would be would get my vote over Mane's. I just think he's... I mean, they've both been incredible. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at the AFCON, they both brought their teams to a finals. They went right down to the wire. Yes, Salah had a, had a miss, but regardless, I mean, he's still, he still... It was very similar type of tournament, in my opinion, for both. And I just think Salah's overall had a bit of a better season. And if he can take his team to I mean they'll have the same type of glory for Liverpool obviously they play in the same club so I, I don't know I think both of them are just incredible they b- definitely both deserve the look but 
I mean, right now, you can, I just don't know if there's a player who's playing better than Kareem Benzema in every sense of the word, from the link-up play to the finishing to the moments that he's changed matches. He's He's been absolutely incredible in La Liga. He's been the only, in my opinion, standout player in La Liga this season on top of a potential historical Champions League campaign in a club that, in my opinion, I just didn't think Madrid were going to do a whole lot. And that's kind of the other cool thing about it. You expected Liverpool to compete in all fronts. Not that Madrid was going to ever fall behind, but nothing they did last season was going to indicate anything differently. And the fact that they brought Ancelotti in, it was like, all right, what are we going to get out of this team? And it's just, he's just been incredible. So, I mean, for me, there's there's no one right now that's that should tip Benzema, I, I, unless it's just a spectacular end of the Champions League. But even so, Benzema is just on a different planet right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's also worth noting for anyone who's listening that the Ballon d'Or sort of uh, criteria has changed a little bit recently and that they're going to look at it season by season as opposed to within the calendar year as they used to. But anyway, speaking of Sadio Mane, he was one of the scorers against Villarreal for Liverpool in their 2-0 win. Unai Emery back in England at Anfield and he suffers a 2-0 loss. Was this a surprise to you at all, Filippo? Not at all. I, I didn't see a scenario where Villarreal knocked out Liverpool and it probably should have been more. I also, I know you're a massive Unai Emery fan or King Emery, whatever you call him. But what I don't understand, and I think Josh might side with me on this one because he helped me. He was also defending Diego Simeone. How is it that what Emery's been doing in the Champions League any different from what Simeone normally does? Right, all the criticism Simeone normally gets. I get it that that there's more um, concacafery, right? Or I, I didn't want to curse here, so I held back the words that I was actually going to use from Simeone, the dark arts. But so does Villarreal in terms of wasting time and everything. Obviously, they didn't do in this game because they were down at one point. But how is it different, right? Why is Henry seen as this genius, which I think he is, by the way, and Diego Simeone is seen as this a-hole which I don't well I mean yeah sure he is an a-hole to be fair but he's also a genius in terms of what how he approaches a game how he gets results done and people like to talk about the budget yes Atletico Madrid have a higher budget than Villarreal but he has beat teams with way higher budgets than Atletico Madrid he has won a league he's accomplished more too right more than Villarreal ever accomplished under Unai Emery he's won the Europa League too twice if I'm not mistaken so why is that? Why is Simeone so hated and Henry so loved? Is it his attitude? Because as a coach, I don't think he's below that level. Now, this is just my opinion. I'm just going to jump in. I don't know if Simeone's as hated as as you say. I mean, you, you, you two can definitely chime in. I think Diego Simeone is a genius, and it's one of the reasons I just unbelievably respect him. The two of my favorite managers in the world is Simeone and Klopp, two very different styles, and it, it just shows because it's like I've, I've said this before and and it's just so difficult to win matches like that. And in my opinion, that style is almost kind of tailor made for a a tournament style, which is why it was so impressive to me that that Simeone won La Liga. But if you kept an eye on that La Liga race last season, yes, they won it, but barely. And he's he's won one before that as well. But he, he got lucky. His style is more suited for those kind of knockouts that that gritty type. But it's because he goes in and recognizes what his his team is and he goes in there and he signs them up and makes sure that they all buy in and they do exactly what he wants and they nip it if you've ever watched any Atletico Madrid versus Barca versus 
Bayern. Those are the two main ones that stick up. Even I think Madrid. I don't think they ever beat Madrid, but they can go toe to toe with them. But the game is ugly. It is ugly, and just waiting for an opportunity for someone like Antoine Griezmann to step up. Now Unai Emery did the exact same thing, and I've been I've been preaching this. I mean, I've watched so much Atletico Madrid over the years, and watching Villarreal this season, this this run that went on, it is to a T exactly what Diego Simeone does. And Unai Emery, he did won three Europa leagues back to back to back with with Sevilla. He knows how to win European competitions. On top of that, he definitely took a play out of Diego Simeone's playbook because this was to a T. It's it's defend, it's it's proper. You see those two banks of four. You wait for your opportunities. You hit on the break, and you hope just to make your your opponent frustrated. And they were able to take down a a bit of a weaker UA team, but then a Bayern team. I and mean, it's not very easy to do. Now, if they can pull out a masterclass next next next, which I don't think that they can because two nothing it's very tricky. But regardless, if they were able to do something like that, it would be on those type of moments. It's just it's it's complete focus. It's waiting to take your opportunities, and it is using a bit of the dark arts. But I don't know. I'm curious to see what Adrian thinks about the Simeone hate because for me, I just I absolutely adore the man, and he knows how to approach. I mean, because he's gotten these results, he always gets asked for a little bit more, a little bit prettier style. But he knows what he knows. He's good at it, and. It's the reason that I don't think we're going to see a, a Simeone revolution anytime soon. And it's the reason that I think Villarreal have gone on this run. So I think that there's two parts as to why Simeone is getting hate versus Unai Emery. Now, one of them was simply because people found that his style of football incredibly boring back in the past when Atletico were more forced into playing that kind of style of football. And two, and Filippo, you brought this up yourself, is the budget aspect because Comparing Villarreal versus Atletico Madrid's budget is just ridiculous. You look at how much Atletico Madrid have spent, especially on attacking players recently. You know, if a club is able to spend $124 million on one signing in Juan Felix, plus all of the other signings that they've made recently for their attack, and then you compare that to Villarreal and their record signing for the club, shout out Transfermarkt, by the way, Manuel will love this. The record signing is Arno Danjuma, who they signed last summer for 23.5 million euros. That's 100 million less than Atletico Madrid's. And then on top of that, you add into the fact that he's getting a lot of love for it because this is sort of unprecedented for Villarreal. Their only major trophy that they have won has been the UEFA Europa League. They've never won a league title. They've never won Copa del Rey. They've only won Europa League and the Intertoto Cup, which doesn't even exist anymore. So they're very much punching above their weight, and it is expected for them to play in that style versus Simeone, who has all of these attacking options available to him, and yet he still manages to play in the way that he feels is the best for his club, which is totally warranted. And he has the right to play however he wants. But that is the aspect that I think frustrates people when they see this wealth of attacking options, and then he still plays in that defensive manner. Does anyone, but does anyone, but one thing for sure is Simeone has a larger budget, but he has accomplished a lot more, right? Like his accomplishment, Henry's accomplishment with Villarreal, for example, is to make it to the Champions League semifinals and to win the Europa League. Well, Simeone made it to the final twice of the Champions League and he won La Liga and he won Europa League, obviously many more seasons than Emery for sure. But one thing we do have to mention here in between these two is if Diego Simeone had played offensive soccer, right, attacking, would he have accomplished what he accomplished? Because despite Atletico spending money like that, their salary budget is lower. And honestly, their team is not as good on paper as Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, and many others, right? So if he had played the way people want him to play, which is you got all these options up top, 
attack. Would he have accomplished it? Would he have made it to two Champions League finals? Would he have won La Liga? Would he have won your, well, Europa League? Maybe because the team would have been so much more superior. Even though, to be fair, depending on the opponent, he does attack, right? He doesn't bunker against everyone. We see him play this horrible soccer terrorist style when he faces a Manchester City, right? Barcelona, when they were in their prime. He doesn't play like that against every team. That's what people forget, too, about Diego Simeone. He does attack certain teams. He's been the third best offense of La Liga for, what, four, three or four straight seasons, right? The team that has scored just behind Barcelona and Real Madrid. So I I think there's a little bit of a bias because a lot of the times when people watch Atletico Madrid, it's only when they face Bayern or Manchester City. That's when they watch Atletico Madrid. And then, yes, when Diego Simeone plays those teams, he does certain things that are just horrible to watch a game. That, that's just my thought on it. But that, we're moving off topic. We're talking about Villarreal. Uh, your question to me was if I expected this. Yes, I expected Liverpool to have a comfortable win in Anfield, and they got a 2-0 win. Maybe it should have been three, but they didn't, and Liverpool is likely going to go through. I don't see Villarreal scoring three goals against Liverpool, not under Klopp. No, and shout out to Filippo. We've got way off track, and we found our way back. We always do. But Josh, I think you had said it already, but you don't expect Villarreal to turn this around, do you? Or maybe you do. No, I, I, I don't. And this kind of seems these are two little points I want to, I want to say about this because, like I said, I, I, it was like looking in the mirror watching Villarreal in in the prime Atleticos of Champions League runs. But to me, there's two different things. One, away goals. And Simeone over the years have snuck through because of, of away goals. They've they definitely helped him out. And also a moment from someone who's who was very very special over the years, and that was Antoine Griezmann coming out big when it matters, and just a, a just a, a bit of brilliance. And I saw it all the time. And I remember like the, the Bayern Barca's. The, he went on away goals a couple of times because he can sneak them. He knows how to do it. And without that being done, it means that they're if they're going to want to win, they're going to have to score three goals at home against Liverpool. I just don't see it. And even if they do score three, it doesn't does mean Liverpool is going to score two, three, or four. So I just don't know if they have enough in them to get past this Liverpool side. And I'm, I'm probably, if anything, would say another Liverpool win. Yeah, I would say that as well. I think that this Liverpool team is just way too good. And they're seemingly just steamrolling everyone in front of them, basically. So shout out Liverpool. And shout out to Jurgen Klopp, who it was just announced 30 minutes ago, after all the rumors that he was going to re-sign, and uh, sorry, not resign, but re-sign. Extend is a better word. There we go. Extend his contract. He has done so. He has extended his contract until 2026. It was previously due to be up in 2024. And if he sees out that contract, he'll have been there for, I believe, 11 years. So it's looking likely that we have a little bit of a rivalry between Pep and Jurgen Klopp between each other. Klopp made some comments about how, you know, if Pep wasn't there, they probably would have won a lot more titles. Pep has also said that Liverpool are a pain in his ass. It's one of the most difficult teams that he's ever had to compete against. And that says a lot considering he was, you know, he was up against Klopp in Germany and he was up against Mourinho at uh, at Real Madrid back in Spain. So do you guys see this as being sort of like a Sir Alex Ferguson versus Arsene Wenger part two type of thing, but with, you know, two managers that win more equally, if that makes sense? That was very not eloquently said, but you guys know what I mean. Arsene Wenger had a bit of a fall off after that inevitable or that invincible season. Uh, do you think that this is almost like Ferguson versus Arsene Wenger, but almost an improvement in some way? I guess say definitely an improvement just in terms of, of balance. Um, I mean, 
if you guys remember a couple seasons ago when Liverpool and City went toe-to-toe in one of the most exciting title races you'd ever see, they're doing it again. I mean, it's it's been rare. It's been a few seasons, I feel like, where, where City's just dominated the Premier League and the others kind of fell by the wayside, but they've made the Premier League very interesting between the two, which is which is good to see. I mean, there's a definitely a big drop-off of quality, but um, I don't remember. I mean, I was obviously a lot younger, but I don't remember it being as even like you kind of said, it was might have been a rivalry because they were both there for so long, but I'd say Sir Alex Ferguson got a lot more on Vanger than Vanger did on him. And this one just seems very even. Uh, this title race is going to go right down to the wire just like the one did a couple seasons ago. They both won a couple of league titles in there. Klopp's got a Champions League final, a Champions League. He's got a Europa League final. He's going to go probably back to another Champions League, could win it. It's just, it's been quite the rivalry of two just phenomenal teams. And they can meet up and more than likely... Well, I shouldn't say more than likely, but they have a good opportunity to meet up in the Champions League. And if they do, I mean, that's going to be another absolute cracker of a game. And, and I'm excited. I mean, I'm I'm definitely more on the Liverpool side than I, I am on, on City for, for several reasons. So, yeah, um, go Liverpool. So, in terms of how balanced this rivalry is, it's definitely more balanced in terms of titles, right? Klopp and Pep in regards to Sir Alex and Arsene Wenger. Uh, but, but also, I think these teams are a bit more dominant. Right, even though Arsenal and Manchester United were the best teams at the time there in England, it seems like these two teams are just better because there is a bigger gap right now, right, between the top teams in Europe and the rest of the leagues in general. Uh, just the dominance of Manchester City and Liverpool is just—I I don't know—I could be wrong with this. And in, in turn, I don't remember the points. There was the the season that Arsenal was undefeated and they won the Premier League too, but it seems like Manchester City and Liverpool are a bit more dominant in that sense. But but yeah, just going to give it back to you, Adrian. The NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. Get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And I think that this is a good time to sort of shift gears a little bit because there was another Champions League going on. And this week we saw the first leg of the final of the CONCACAF Champions League between Seattle and Pumas played in Mexico. Now, I personally, once again, did not catch this match. You know, the the CONCACAF Champions League games are just on too late. I put in a full day of work and then I'm meant to stay up late and watch these matches. I just can't do it. But... I know you guys were keeping an eye on it. So, Filippo, what did you make of this match? Because it was quite the comeback from Seattle. Yeah, so I wasn't able to watch the full game because I was at Mexico versus Guatemala here in Orlando, the the match. And the match ended at 10.30, and that's when Seattle started. So I drove home listening to the game. Pete from 11 Anx was doing a live watch along, so I was listening to it. Uh, and then I watched towards the end, and I watched obviously Seattle get that that late penalty kick to to tie the game in the last minute, right in the 98th, which is something I didn't expect. Usually MLS gets unlucky rather than lucky, but just to make out of it, I've talked about this many times. 
this Pumas team is probably the weakest Liga MX team I've ever seen make it to the CCL final in my life. And the Sounders, in my opinion, on paper and the players they have, veteran players, they're the best MLS team right now on paper and very well coached by Brian Schmitzer. And they got a great result. They got a 2-2 draw away. I'm 99% sure I would have to double check, but the CONCACAF Champions League does still have away goals. It does have away goals because that's how New York City advanced too. So I don't think it does in the final though. I was looking at this prior and I'll double check this as you're talking, but I think Uh they took that away for the final, but I'll double check that right now. Yeah, we'll confirm that then very soon. And regardless, they got a draw away. They're going to play now in Seattle against Pumas. And this is just the perfect opportunity for an MLS team to win and go play the Club World Cup, which I think for the league and for U.S. soccer, And I think even for Canadian soccer, because Canadian soccer does benefit from MLS growing, I think it's very important to be in the the Club World Cup. I know European sides don't value it as much, but for South America, it's huge. And for an American club to play Manchester City, Liverpool, Real Madrid, whoever is there, and play a Palmeiras, a Flamengo, Boca Juniors, River Plate... I think it would be massive. So it's a big opportunity. I hope Seattle wins, and I think they will win. I think they will win. I really like that. If you look Seattle's team, they're very well balanced in MLS. You look at that midfield with Ruznak, right? João Paulo, Lodeiro. It's a strong team. They, they they should be able to pull through. And like I said, I, I don't think this Pumas team is very good. So I was looking through a few sources now, and as far as I can tell, it looks like the away goals rule is ditched for the final. So if that is true, this essentially comes down to a one-off match being played in Seattle. Seattle hosting with that massive crowd behind them, with all the hype behind them. I'm sure you guys saw that Marshawn Lynch (laughs) commercial um, to really get the fans behind this team to make history. Josh, do you think that they're going to be able to pull it off? I do. Uh, I kind of see some similarities, to be honest, of, of these two versus Madrid and City. I think that Seattle is, is a bit like City. I think that they're honestly they're the better team. Uh, like Felipe was talking about, they got a lot of good players, very well coached, good structure there. Uh, and the thing about this Puma side, it's kind of they're kind of like Madrid, like not I shouldn't say underdogs, but they've they've had scrappy performances to get through, and they've had a striker that's just in unbelievable form. Monty Nano has scored nine goals in seven matches. He's got a brace again in this match. He he's a player who's just thriving in this competition. And when you have a striker putting up those type of numbers, it's something that's always in the back of your mind, something to worry about. So uh, I agree with Filippo. I think that it's better for for uh, U.S., Canada, and just the league in itself if if Seattle can take this step. And it's about time. And like I've said multiple times, if there's one MLS team that that really deserves this type of, of step at Seattle, they've just been a, a class act of an organization. And and I think they have a good opportunity. I think it'll be tough. And like I said, the Magic Diano, maybe he could get his 10th, but... Uh, I'm hoping and thinking that Seattle will take it in a close win at home. Yeah, Seattle is awesome. I mean, it's I don't know if either of you guys have been to a game in Seattle, but the first MLS match I ever went to back in the day was Seattle versus DC United. That's this was a long time ago. This was the Freddie Lundberg day. So it's it's awesome, and it would be great to see them be the first MLS team to sort of win this competition. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I will stay up for that second leg of this final um, because I hope that history's made. It would be great Josh, to see. Uh, Adrian, I'm going to make a, I'm going to do a live watch along for it. So I'm just going to drag you to the live watch along. That way you're, you can't sleep on camera. So you're just going to be forced by me to watch the final. 
Watch me, man. Watch me sleep on camera. But it's no, also I, uh, May the fourth. It's May the fourth, so it's Star Wars Day. Oh, that's true. So I got to be up for that. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd be happy to come through and watch that with you if that was what the invitation was. So yeah, I'd be happy to. I just um, want you to stay awake. That's all. It yeah, is. I'll do my best. I'll try my best. I'll have an espresso prior, and uh, we'll be good to go to watch some history together. But anyways, guys, that wraps it up for Champions League talk of all kinds of champion le- Champions Leagues, both UEFA and Concacaf. Now we have been talking about Atletico Madrid quite a bit, and there was a story that came out today where apparently. Juventus want to offer Mr. McKenney to Atletico Madrid as sort of a make weight for Morata. So thoughts on him under Simeone, Filippo, or Josh? Filippo, let's start with you. Yeah, it seems like a stupid deal for Juventus. <laughs> I think Weston McKenney can score more than Morata too for the team, honestly. But but anyhow, uh, Weston kind of seems like a player that would fit into Simeone, like what he likes, right? If you want to can be dangerous in transition, can exploit maybe a little bit more of set pieces, good defensive work, covers a lot of ground. Um, I mean, has CONCACAF experience, so if Simeone wants to CONCACAF, that uh, Weston's ready for that. I think he could fit that team, right? And when he plays a 4-4-2, Weston can play as a right midfielder, left midfielder, or central midfielder. So... Honestly, for Atletico Madrid, it's a great signing. And also, I think if he goes to Atletico, Weston will still play a lot. I'm okay with that. Um, I just think it's a stupid deal for Juventus to use him to keep Morata. They really need Morata right now. It's a perfect deal for Atletico Madrid. There's no de- debating that. He is a perfect Diego Simeone type player. He's a player, a li- not not the, like the exact same type of player as Lorente, but in the past when they play this 4-4-2 that switches into like a back three, having someone who can play as a, as a center mid slash right mid, left mid, Simeone loves that. And he values that. I think that I think that McKenny would come right in here, kind of replace Hector Ayer, who didn't play a lot anyways, but he fills up that mid- midfielder position. I think he get a lot more minutes. He's versatile. He's everything that Diego Simeone wants. I think that would be a perfect, perfect transfer. And then you get rid of Murata. You don't need him. You don't want him. Uh, I don't know exactly what they were looking. I thought it was something around 40 mil is what they were looking to sell him for. Now, no way, he's, in my opinion, he's worth that. I don't know what Juve are going to do. So if they're trying to find a way to keep him and they end up giving McKenny to Atletico, I think Atletico would wipe their hands and say, man, we just got away with an unbelievable one. Because to me, I mean, he's a Simeone player through and through. And I think he would thrive in La Liga. That was the initial impression that I had as well. It just, you know, I don't have a lot to back this up. Um as far as statistics and, you know, a huge opinion on, on Weston McKenney really. But from what I've seen of him and what I've seen, obviously a ton of Atletico Madrid, it just felt like a fit. It just felt like a player that would, that Diego Simeone would really like to have under his, uh, under his command in that midfield. But, you know, we don't do this very often, but let's continue this. Let's continue with another story because one of the bigger transfer dealings here. Okay, Filippo. Go ahead. I, just need to, I need to add one thing. I need to block you again. Go ahead. Just for a start, like Morata has in 32 games, he has eight goals in the Serie A, right? Weston McKinney in 20 games has three goals. So if you look into that, because Morata is a forward, right? Weston's not a forward. It kind of sounds ridiculous, right? How Morata just like, I, I don't, I don't. I, so I'll let you move forward. I just wanted to say that because 
it's just such a stupid deal for Juventus. But go on. I Sorry to interrupt you. No, it's all good. And I think that one of the things with Morata is that he's really sort of evolved as this player that's not really a goal scorer, but is better as a second striker or as Allegri was kind of thinking of doing and was going to attempt to do, was playing him almost in like a Mandzukic role, sort of on the left um, and just be that grafter that hard worker on the left that sets up opportunities for his teammates so I think that Murata has sort of evolved over the last little bit to become more of a support to the striker assistant to the regional manager basically as opposed to the regional manager himself aka the striker himself so just a little bit of office there for you guys but anyways as I was saying it's looking like one of the bigger transfer stories this summer could be, no, not Mbappe. I've, that one's already established. We know Holland. We know that's an established transfer story. But now Robert Lewandowski to Barca is seemingly heating up a little bit. And there's talks about sort of make or break decision today between Lewandowski's camp, Pini Zahavi, sorry, and that of Bayern Munich. And it's looking like he might want an opportunity elsewhere because he's won everything at Bayern Munich. Now, first of all, I want to get you guys' takes on this. Lewandowski at Barcelona. I personally think that it would work. I think that with what, how Xavi has them playing, I think that it would be conducive to having someone like Robert Lewandowski in there. And as far as him being able to score in La Liga, that's always something that people bring up. Can he score in this league? Can he score? Yes, of course he can. Of course he could score in La Liga. In fact, looking at the teams that he has scored the most goals against, when you get outside of the German teams, number one, is Real Madrid. So I think that he would do just fine. But what do you guys make of it? First of all, do you think that Lewandowski is actually going to leave? Do you think that he wants a new sort of challenge abroad? Or is this all just angling for a a new, juicier contract? I'm going to be very quick on this one because Josh is better with the Bundesliga guys. I I don't know what Lewandowski wants. I mean, it's got to get boring in Bayern eventually, winning Bundesliga all the time. And I mean, but in terms of Barcelona, Lewandowski is 33. And he's assigning more for a team that wants to win now or has to win now. So I, I I don't know what Barcelona's thinking right now because you would think Barcelona's in a rebuilding phase, right? Try to rebuild. But then they go on with these signings of veterans like Aubameyang, now Lewandowski. Um, I mean, Dani Alves too, to a certain extent. What is Barcelona going through? Are they trying to be the dominant Barcelona that wins Champions Leagues, La Liga, and dominates the world, essentially? Or are they rebuilding? Because it's kind of hard to have it both ways. And Lewandowski is not a rebuilding player right now. He's a win-now type, right? And adding him to Barcelona, to me, still does not make them Champions League contenders. Sure, maybe they'll go and win La Liga. I I just don't know what's going on in Barcelona, and it's just... Okay, I'll, I'll let Josh talk about this. Yeah. That's just no, I mean, I, I, do, I do basically agree with you. I, I personally think it's it's a contract stance. I think that Lewandowski has won everything there is basically to win in the game, but there are still records that he can break. I think he's comfortable at, at Bayern. I think that this is a team that is way closer to winning the Champions League again compared to a team like Barca. The only thing that makes sense to me maybe if is if City don't get Holland and they bring in Lewandowski. I think that's a team that is a win-now type of team. He'll, he'll go into that desperately needed number nine striker position and he'll get his new experience. But I, I again, I have no insight whatsoever. I just, my opinion is that Lewandowski probably is open to a move. But I think when it comes down to it, if, if he's playing the field, seeing what happens and the right deal isn't there, then hopefully he's just pushing Bayern to the deal that he's hoping to get. And if not, then maybe he'll take his chance. But I just, I can't see what everything Barca has gone through that, 
they can afford him, that they can bring in him, and that he would do anything worth going there for and, and ruin kind of the last decade or so in the Bundesliga with everything that he's accomplished there. That's just what my gut's telling me. is more than likely he will be at Bayern, even though I hope he moves on just to make the Bundesliga a little bit more interesting and see maybe what he can do elsewhere. But I, I don't know. I just... You can't go to Madrid, which with Berbenzema's there. I don't even see him going to Barca. That rules out La Liga. That really just leads to me, honestly, the only one that makes sense is City. Otherwise, I just see him staying at Bayern. But that's that's just what my, my gut's telling me. It is interesting that you say that you want to see him leave to make the Bundesliga more interesting because I don't think that that can be understated enough that Robert Lewandowski leaving Bayern this summer especially that would lead to them having to make a move immediately in order to fill that striker position. Because otherwise, you're talking about playing players who aren't natural strikers in that position, or you're playing someone like a Chupamoting in there. And Josh, you can correct me if I'm forgetting about another striker that they have up their sleeves, but I can't think of anyone else to fill that role. No, not no one else in the squad would fill that role. But it's, it's funny, because um, I... I just truthfully believe he's just a different level of striker. He's so comfortable in the Bundesliga, which is why I don't know if he would want to leave. I don't think he would replicate those numbers elsewhere. I, I just simply don't. I think he's just so accustomed to how the Bundesliga is. He's just so lethal. And he leaves Bayern, he's irreplaceable. They will find a striker. They will, they will not put up near the numbers that Lewandowski does. And they won't promote anyone within. I've heard two names already. These are just, just for the, some, the viewers. Sebastian Haller coming back. He's played in the Bundesliga with Frankfurt to come come back from Ajax. And the other one is Luka Jovic, who's also played for Frankfurt. He's at Madrid right now. So those are the type of strikers that Bayern are being linked with right now. And if you're a fan of any other club in the Bundesliga, specifically Dortmund or Leipzig, and seeing that Lewandowski leaves and then Sebastian Haller or Jovic come in with no disrespect to those players, you're thinking, okay, this is a completely different Bayern side. Absolutely. And it's something that they really do need to address because there's players that are aging out and vital players that are starting to age out a little bit. And you mentioned Haller, you mentioned uh, Jovic. It's funny because, and this this will be Manuel Vite's sort of, uh, or Vate. I mean, we nailed it down how to pronounce it. Is Vate, Faith, Vate? Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> this will be his contribution to the podcast is I tweeted out how... Bayern are now linked with Haller. That means that they've now been linked with Mazraoui, which looks likely, Timber, Gravenberg, which also looked likely, and four players that they're into, just buying up the squad. And when I tweeted that out, Manuel said that it's quite possible that they could go for all of these players, which is just ridiculous. And Ajax will have to do a major, major, major rebuild, losing their manager and then losing all of these key pieces. But I mean, sleep on Ajax. They've, they've done this many, many times in order to sort of rebuild the squad. But yeah, it's looking like Bayern are going to go for quite the rebuild. Um, and it's necessary. It's necessary. As I was saying, they have these older players that are aging out and they need to get those players in place now to sort of be the successors to those different positions. But who knows? If I was Lewandowski personally, I think that I would be looking at guys like Alaba who are trying something different, who won the Champions League with Bayern and every other title. And maybe, you know, finishing your career in Barcelona, that wouldn't be the worst place to do so. So we'll have to wait and see. But guys, I think that that's it for this episode. Are there any final thoughts, any final words that you guys want to get out there? I heard a quote today. I'm going to leave this with our, our viewers. Um, has nothing to do with the podcast, but I just I just died laughing. Came from a buddy of mine. Uh, so just want the viewers to, to remember this. Is don't sweat the petty things. And don't pet the sweaty things. You're welcome. With that, Filippo, do you have any other uh, sort of nursery rhyme-esque type things to finish us off with? No, just look, El Tritide 
Guatemala 0-0, the almighty Guatemala. So as I've been saying for months, they're finished. And Zero so is the podcast. And so is the podcast. But Hey, <laughs> and with that, we say thank you, guys. Thank you for listening once again. And remember, leave us a review. Leave us a review. And if it's good enough, if it meets our standards, we will not sue you. No, I'm joking. But if it meets our standards, we will read it on air. So thank you for Unsackable Podcast. For Filippo and Josh, I'm Adrian. And take care. Take care.